Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, hello, Timberlake. Want to begin today by welcoming all of our campuses. I won't even try to start mentioning all of them by name because it just feels like you're kind of slowly but surely taking over the state of Washington. And uh, always cheering you guys on from the state of Wisconsin, where it is 75 and sunny today. Uh, so here's the deal, guys. I was taking a nap a couple weeks ago, and I wake up and I hear some rattling around in my attic. Never a good sound. And so I start to get a little bit nervous, and I decide to get out a ladder and go into the attic. And uh, as I do, I just kind of poke my head into the darkness and take a flashlight. I couldn't see all that clearly, but to take a flashlight and point it in the direction where this noise was coming from. And sure enough, as I held it there for maybe 60 seconds, 90 seconds, I saw this pair of ears pop out of kind of hiding, and then it went back down. And then I heard some scratching sounds. And I kept it there a little bit longer, and the ears popped back up. And so I'm panicked, as most of you would be as well. And I call my dad. You know, it doesn't matter how old we get. We always like to call our parents and look for direction. And so I said, Dad, I've got a raccoon in my attic. I am scared. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, don't try doing that yourself. He said, you definitely want to call a professional or your brother Scott. <laughs> now, my brother Scott could be a mascot for the state of Wisconsin. Uh, he just, for whatever reason, has supplies on hand at all times. So I called him up. I said, Scott, I got a raccoon in my attic. Do you have a uh, trap of sorts? He said, yeah, yeah, I'll come on over. So he does. And I'm on the computer looking at the different types of food to draw this in. And so sure enough, he comes over. I put the food in there. And uh, he puts the trap up in the attic, and it was maybe a couple hours later that this is what we had in the trap. Oh. No, I'm totally lying to you. We didn't have that in the trap. Because when my brother Scott actually put his head up into the attic and put his flashlight in the direction, he started laughing. He said, Dave, this is not a raccoon. He said, this is called an attic baffle. It's called uh, an attic buddy. He said, it's this thing that just kind of moves when the wind, do you not hear the wind outside? He says, so it just kind of flaps around. And he says, it's the little bevels that you thought were ears, but I could see in the darkness. And so I called my dad up. I said, dad, I'm going to totally be able to sleep tonight because it wasn't a raccoon. It was literally this attic baffle that was just kind of moving with the wind and making the scratching sound. And he said, well, I'm not going to sleep tonight because I'm going to laugh all night long at how ridiculous you are. Now, in life, here's the deal. All of us have areas that we're not experts. The reason my brother Scott was so quick to recognize that is he owns a construction company. He is in attics all the time. He knows what these attic baffles are. He understands how all that works. I'm naive to that. I spend my days seeking our Heavenly Father and praying <laughs> and reading Scripture. But all of us have areas in life that we're naive, and all of us go through 
seasons in life where we have struggles and challenges and difficulties. And because we're not familiar with those challenges and because we're not familiar with those difficulties and it's a unique season of life, what happens is we start hearing noises. And it's very difficult to think rationally. And we start to feel like life is caving in and everybody's against us. And often, the noises that we hear and the scratching sounds that's being made aren't what we think they are. Often, they're just our own voice that we're hearing in our head. And life is overwhelming, and so we start repeating things that we've thought We start rehearsing things in our mind over and over that just aren't true. We say things like, well, I I don't have what it takes to get through this season. Or I can never finish anything. Or or, nobody's going to ever want to marry me. Or or, I fail at everything I do. I've never had any real friends. My life is not going to get any better than this. And it's like we become the biggest naysayers in our own life. When life feels unpredictable, when life is out of control, all of us have lies that we begin to tell ourselves. And one of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves when life feels unstable is nobody will understand what I'm going through. Nobody can relate to my hurt. Nobody can relate to my pain. Nobody will understand the challenge and the difficulty and the season that I'm currently in. And in the darkest moments of our life, we don't realize that the voices and the sounds that we're hearing are totally fictional. They're voices in our head that are loud and, and, and they surface all kinds of irrational fears. We, we, we become afraid that if, if people knew what we were going through and they were familiar with our struggle and they heard us talk about it, that they wouldn't like us or they wouldn't respect us or they wouldn't want to be around us. And those kind of thoughts and those kind of fears are totally normal. And as followers of Jesus, what often happens is when we're afraid, we say, well, I want to pray the fear away. I want God to take away this irrational thinking. I I just can't live like this anymore. God, help me overcome the fear. And sometimes the fear begins to minimize, but most of the time the fear is still there because fear is just a part of the landscape of life. Rarely does fear go away. And so when the voices in our head become loud and overwhelming and we're afraid, The only way most of us will ever find the hope that we need is by learning to be courageous. See, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness to move forward in spite of our fear. Courage is the decision to walk into the unknown and say, hey, I am terrified, but I'm still moving forward. And in the darkest moments of our life, when things are falling apart, when we become the loudest naysayer in our own life, and we've told ourselves that nobody will understand what I'm going through, we need courage. Because it takes courage to ask for help when it would be easier to pretend that everything is okay. It takes courage to ask for help when it would be easier to pretend that everything is okay. I can't think of anything that has a more negative impact on individuals or couples or families than to pretend everything is okay when it's not. When we choose to not talk about our weaknesses or our struggles or our sins, and we choose to keep a portion of our life secret, often it catches up. 
Now, sometimes it catches up in a very public way, and our sin or our secret or our struggle is exposed to everyone. But often it catches up by just slowly chipping away at our character and our confidence. And we begin to feel guilt and shame, and our hearts become callous. Now, what's interesting to me is if we were to look over the past hundred years of human history, there's a whole lot of topics that are really uncomfortable, and they're not fun to talk about, and yet as society, uh, as a human race, we've had the courage to confront those topics, right? The, The topic of mental health or suicide used to be very, very taboo, but we've become comfortable talking about it. Sex education used to be a very taboo topic. Schools would just be you know, keep it at a distance. And now we, we talk about it all the time. Pregnancy outside of marriage used to be a very taboo topic. And thankfully, we've got comfortable talking about these things. But for some reason, it is still an incredibly taboo topic for us to open up about the secret struggles and the sins and the challenges that we go through. We're scared to talk about what we're dealing with on the inside for one, for one reason, we're, we're scared of talking about because I think we're afraid of what other people will discover about us. But even more than that, I think we're often afraid of what we're going to discover about ourselves. Even for those of us who are open books, let's be honest, we, we kind of hold back 10%. This will not surprise you. I'm an open book. All right? I pretty much vomit information on people all the time. It just, boom, this is who I am. This is my life. I have no problem telling people I regularly go to marriage counseling. But I'm not telling you what I talk about at marriage counseling. Right? I don't mind telling you I, I battle mental health issues all the time. But I'm not telling you what happens when those mental health issues get out of control. Like All of us are guarded to some extent, if we're honest. Like all of us care about image management. And yet if we ever want to experience community, we need to embrace the fact that the fastest path to true An authentic community is the common bond that every single one of us share with our brokenness and our weaknesses and our struggles and our sins. In the fall of 2015, a book was published called The Deep Down Dark. This is a story that most of us will remember. It's of the 33 Chilean miners who became trapped under thousands of feet of rock. And so for 69 days, they were stuck in the dark. They had very little food and supplies. They had very little water. They, of course, didn't know whether they were going to live or die. So they were terrified. They obviously wanted to live, but the chances of being rescued were slim to none. And so while these miners are staring death in the face, many of them started to take stock of their lives, and they started to open up about the regrets and the things in their life that they wish they could go back and undo. And eventually, there's this very surprising moment that unfolds among this group of men. It's written about in the book. Uh, Some of the miners asked a fellow miner, a guy by the name of Jose Enriquez, who is a follower of Jesus, they just asked him if he would pray. And of course, he agreed. And so here he is in the bottom of this mine, thousands of rock above him and the other miners. And Jose gets down on his knees and he begins to pray. And here's how he starts. He says, we aren't the best men, Lord, but have pity on us. That's kind of a raw way to start a prayer. But none of the guys seem to get offended. Well, then Jose gets more specific, and he starts 
talking about, again, written here in the book, talking about some of the specific struggles of some of the miners. He says, Victor Segovia knows he drinks too much. Victor Zamora is too quick to anger. Pedro Cortez thinks about the poor father he's been to his young daughter. And it's just amazing. In the middle of this tragedy, this incredible community starts to form. And all of us have seen this happen before. A guy binges for the hundredth time. He loses his family. He loses his marriage. His life is falling apart. And he stumbles into AA or he stumbles into Celebrate Recovery or some sort of church community. And he discovers a family. He discovers a community that he never even knew existed. And he finds the strength to kind of press through and and power forward. And of course, whenever anybody goes through loss or difficulty or challenges, it becomes an amazing opportunity to find community that you never knew existed. And so here are these 33 guys, and they're gathering together each day. They're sharing the rations that they have, and, and they start to daily pray together and worship together, listen to the teachings from the Bible, and they literally give the nickname to Jose Henriquez. They give him this nickname, El Pastor, and, and he leads them. And they start becoming comfortable in praying, and the prayers are prayers of confession. They say, God, please forgive me for the way that I've treated my wife. Please forgive me for the poor parent I've been. Please forgive me for how I've abused my body with drugs and alcohol. And then what's interesting is the prayers start to evolve. Instead of just confessing, their struggles to God, they, they start to confess to one another about how they've treated one another. Please forgive me for the way that I spoke about you. Forgive me for the way I interacted with you. Forgive me for the way that when you guys were all working hard, I was kind of off to the side and not participating. Now, while all of this is going on underneath the ground, unknown to these miners, there is a rescue operation that's in full effect on the surface. And the leader of the drill team has become discouraged because they've made a couple of unsuccessful attempts. They don't know if they're going to be able to finally reach the guys. And so in what ends up becoming their final attempt, he gathers together the crew on the surface, and he says this to the guys. He said, let's pray, and let's put our trust in the skinny guy. Meaning, of course, the skinny guy on the cross. And one of the guys in the crew actually suggests, he says, boss, let's hold hands and let's pray. And so these eight Chilean miners hold hands and they start to pray. And then they drill and the drilling works. And they start to lower down food and they start to lower down water and supplies. And the miners realize eventually we're gonna be rescued. It's happening. We thought this was never going to take place and yet here we are. And then they realize that they're becoming famous all around the world. And one of the strangest things happens. They stop meeting together. And they stop praying together. And they stop worshiping together. Because somehow this knowledge that they're going to be okay disrupted the community they were experiencing at a very low and dark place in their life. So in some ways, the happiest part of the story is really the saddest part of the story. These men were at their best when life seemed to be at their worst. And all of us, if we're honest, have experienced the deep down dark. It's the place that we get to when we're stuck and we realize there's nothing more that I can give. There's nothing more I can do to fix my situation. It's when we get to the place where we realize that 
personally, we don't have the giftings or the money or the, uh, the, the resources to bring healing to what we're going through. It's that place when we become aware, not just simply of our need for God, but when we become aware of our need for each other. And the author of Proverbs talks about that there's actually freedom when we get to this place in our life. And when we get so low that we're willing to open ourselves up and talk about our struggles and talk about our difficulties and our sins. This is the way the author of Proverbs puts it. He, he writes, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, my guess is that most of us don't really believe that. Most of us believe that if we keep our weaknesses and our struggles and our sins a secret, we'll be better off. Most of us think that we're smart enough and we're slick enough and, and we're created enough to somehow go through life not talking about any weaknesses that we have and then being able to avoid the consequences of our actions because we didn't talk about our struggles or our sins. Some of the most prominent individuals we read about in the Bible thought this way. In Genesis chapter 4, we read the story of Cain, who instead of seeking help for his ongoing, on, uh, ongoing bitterness and his growing jealousy and the anger that he felt toward his brother, instead of talking to someone about it, he let it fester until the point it was out of control and he murdered his brother. In Joshua chapter 7, we read about a guy named Achan. Achan, instead of sharing openly about his insecurities and the struggle he was having with envy and the craving that he had for other people's stuff, he actually hid his desires until it fueled him to a point he made decisions that had a devastating effect on the entire community. In Judges chapter 16, we read about Samson. Instead of Samson dealing with his ongoing battle with lust, or opening up to his friends about how naive he could be at times, he convinced himself that he would overcome his challenges by himself, and it led to his downfall. This story is repeated over and over and over in the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read about King David. He had a sexual addiction that he tried to ignore, but it got the best of him. Even though he was the king of Israel, he made the choice to sleep with a married woman by the name of Bathsheba. She was the wife of one of his most loyal warriors. And several weeks after sleeping with her, a messenger shows up to his palace to inform him that Bathsheba is pregnant. And the name of the messenger was Mori Povich. And he looked at King David in the eyes and said, you are the father. And so just like that, David finds himself in a position that all of us have found ourselves in from time to time. He has to decide what he's going to do with his secret. And there are really two ways to deal with the struggles and weaknesses and sins in our life. The first way is to confess it, to be open about it, to talk about it, to say, hey, here's what I'm wrestling with. I need help. The second way to deal with it is to conceal it. 
is to pretend it's not there, is to try to move forward without getting caught, and to believe the lie that nobody will understand. And so your boss gave you a project, and they're checking in on it, and they want to know the progress, and you know you haven't made any progress. You can be upfront about it and say, hey, I haven't made any progress, or you can come up with an elaborate story and try to hide the fact that nothing's been done. You've been dealing with a habit in your life and you've convinced yourself and your spouse that you're past it, but now it's become part of your life again. You can confess it or you can conceal it. If you're a teenager and your parents have put up boundaries in your life and and you've agreed to those boundaries, but now you've crossed those boundaries, you can confess it or you can conceal it. And for some reason, it's just a part of being human. All of us find ways to convince ourselves that it is better to conceal than to confess. I mean, just just think about King David for a moment. In his case, what's he going to do? Is he going to admit to taking advantage of his position? Is he going to admit to abusing the power that he had as king? Is he going to admit to cheating with the wife of one of his most loyal warriors? I mean, what is he going to do? Well, he decides to do the very same thing that most of us decide to do in situations like that. He decides that the best way to deal with sin and deception is with more sin and more deception. Because he thinks, like most of us think, that if he just goes down the path of lies and deception long enough, eventually it's going to lead him out of his problems. But it never does. Instead, what ends up happening is we go from telling a lie to living a lie. And so instead of choosing to confess his sin, David comes up with a very elaborate plan to cover it up. Now let me ask you just a simple question. Why does King David believe that an elaborate plan is the best way to deal with his sin and the consequences that are going to come from it. And more importantly, why do we believe that? Why do we struggle so much with just telling the full truth? Why is it that regardless of how big or small the issue is, for us to just come out and say, hey, I was wrong. I procrastinated. I dropped the ball. I didn't get it done. Why is it so difficult to say, hey, this is embarrassing and and you probably can't relate, but I've got a habit that's kind of resurfaced in my life and I need help with it and I just, I, I don't even know how to explain what I'm feeling inside, but this is what I'm going through. It's getting the best of me. Why is it so easy to hold on to secrets? Well, it really comes down to this simple word called fear. The biggest factor in determining what to do with our struggles is always going to be fear. Because here's the deal. I'm afraid if you know what I'm really like, you're not going to like me. You're not going to respect me. I'm afraid that if you knew what I was battling with, if you knew what was going on in my home, that you wouldn't want to be around me. You'd be disappointed in me. I'm afraid that you wouldn't understand And so I'm just going to make the decision. I'd rather cover it up. I'd rather not talk about it. The way King David tried to cover up his sin was by having Uriah, his loyal warrior, killed. 
And when we read the story of David or we read the story of Achan or we read the story of Cain, it's just easy to dismiss these guys and say, man, they must not really love God. These guys are horrible people. I mean, King David, come on. You would have your loyal warrior killed? You're, you're out of control. We would want to shame him in today's society. We would put him on social media and say, did you hear this guy's story? But the truth is, David genuinely loved God. And in one of his journal entries, he actually writes this. He says, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I have no reason to question that that was Dave's sincere desire. And it's so very sobering because every single one of us are capable of doing the exact same thing. All of us have seeds inside our heart of envy or lust or jealousy or pride or self-centeredness. And if one of those seeds fall into the wrong ground and into the wrong soil and it's watered, it can grow into something very, very ugly. And of course, we, we don't think that's going to happen, right? We, we think we're better than that. And of course, that's what King David thought. And so he tried to cover up his sin, but eventually his plan falls apart and he admits, he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Interestingly, that's the same response my body has every time I eat at Taco Bell. He was miserable. He, he lost his reputation. He lost the respect of people, he, he lost so much in his family. They experienced tragedy. And I guarantee you, if at the end of David's life, they would have had the technology to make a documentary, I guarantee you, King David would have looked in the camera without flinching. And he'd say, hey, th that thing I did with Bathsheba, that was wrong, I regret it. But my worst mistake was thinking that I could cover it up. My worst mistake was trying to avoid the consequences. And if I could go back in time and undo it, I'm telling you, I would. Because I look at the damage that I caused myself, my family, the ones that I love the most. And that damage could have been way, way less than it was if I would have just come out and learned to be open. And so he'd say to you and he'd say to me, hey, listen, whatever your issue is, whatever your struggle, whatever your sin, just confess it. Talk about it. Seek help for it. Deal with it. And so if you're carrying a secret, if you're going through a struggle right now that you think nobody would understand, don't cover it up. Now, you don't need to share it in a group this size. You don't need to talk about it in your group necessarily that you're a part of. But there's got to be someone in your life, a small group that you trust where you just say, hey, here's what I'm battling. I need you to pray for me. I need you to encourage me. I need you to help me along. Because if we don't learn to open up, if we don't learn to talk about our struggles and our sins, what's going to happen is we'll never experience true close community because people will like what they know about us, but they won't know the true us. They'll love the facade that they see, but they won't know what's behind that facade. And so if you struggle being an open book, if you struggle sharing some of the things that you wrestle with, and you say, I want to break free from secrets, then we've got to learn how to open up. Because we chip away at our fear of being known every time we choose to be vulnerable. 
Every time we take that risk and we step into the unknown and we step into the fear and we courageously say, okay, I don't want to tell anybody this and I, I'm nervous about what you're going to think about me and I, I know you're going to probably perceive me differently, but here is what I'm going through. It chips away at our fear of being known. And I know being vulnerable is incredibly scary. It shouldn't be. Because we all have weaknesses and we all have struggles and we all have habits in our life that could potentially destroy us. All of us have ongoing battles that can destroy our attitude and our confidence and our faith and our sense of self-worth. But we got to deal with it. Now, if the struggle and the weakness that you can't talk about is a sin... The way to chip away at the fear of being known is to learn how to confess that sin. We confess to God certainly for forgiveness. We could confess to humans as well for forgiveness, but they may choose to withhold it from us. We confess to God and we know God forgives us, but we confess to one another for healing. In the book of James, we read this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confession has the power to bring emotional healing. It has the power to bring relational healing. It has the power to bring healing to our minds. Now, sometimes the weakness and the struggle that we're holding on to and we don't want to open up about, sometimes it has nothing to do with sin. Sometimes it just has to do with a battle going on in our lives. Sometimes it just has to do with a struggle that we're going through. And so I want you to know that regardless of what you're going through today, you are not alone. You are not alone in your marriage struggle. You are not alone in your parenting struggle. You are not alone in your struggle and battle with mental health. You're not alone in your addiction You're not alone in your doubts and in your insecurities. In the first century, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to followers of Jesus who were living in Philippi. They were being persecuted. Uh, They were, because of their faith, experiencing all types of challenges. And he says, listen, God sees what you're going through. Stay strong. And then he writes this. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. So he says, be strong. God's grace is going to be there. And the way I know this is because you're going through the same struggle you saw I had. That's how I know it. He said, I can relate. I know that right now it's difficult to follow Jesus. I know that it's difficult to be persecuted for your faith. I know that you want to throw in the towel. I know that you feel like God's a million miles away. But don't give up. Stay strong. I can relate to what you're going through. Two of the most powerful words in the English language are me too. Oh, you've, you've got a kid that's out of control and you feel like the world's worst parent? Me too. Oh, your finances have collapsed on you and now you've got to foreclose on some property that was your dream property? Me too. Oh, you've been married for 20 years, you've been married for 30 years and instead of feeling like you're best friends with your spouse, you kind of feel like you've just become enemies? Oh, I've been there. I can relate to that, me too. Oh, the longer you follow Jesus, the more doubts you seem to have. 
The, the more struggle with your faith, you, you, you seem to experience, oh, I've been there. Me too. Two of the most powerful words in the English language are just me too, and we know someone can relate to what we've gone through. And I want you to know that some of the biggest struggles you go through, some of the biggest struggles I go through, some of the biggest challenges and difficulties in our life allow us to someday look at somebody and say with all sincerity, me too, I can relate to your struggle. I can relate to what you're going through. Forgive me, I, I put the wrong verses on your notes. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I put 1 Corinthians there in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is an expression from the Apostle Paul. He says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. He says, God comforts us when we go through difficult times so that in turn we can comfort others. This past week I stood in front of the church that I pastor in Wisconsin, started it eight years ago, and uh, ended the service saying, hey guys, we're going to sing one more song, and if you are a guest today, if this is not your church, feel free to slip out, but I need to talk very candidly to the people of Great Lakes Church. And so after that song, I stood in front of them and I just said, hey guys, it's been eight years that I've been pastoring this church, and we say all the time, this is a place where it is okay to not be okay, and so I need you to hear me clearly. I'm not okay. I said, when we started this church, I knew it was gonna be a sprint, and so I started to run. God blessed. We've experienced a lot of growth. The growth has turned into complexity, and I'm still running. I said, I feel like I'm on a treadmill, and I wanna jump off, but I'm terrified of what's gonna happen. And I said, and so I've gotten to the point that I'm not just at a breaking point. I've gotten to the point where I'm broken. My joy is gone. My personality's changed. There's so much in my life that I just don't like who I'm becoming. And I've watched a lot of leaders go through similar situations, and because they would not be vulnerable and they would not talk about their weakness and their flaws and their struggles, it ended, them, it ended up doing them in. It destroyed their marriage. It destroyed their life. It destroyed their families. I don't want to do that. I want to finish with my integrity intact. I want to pass at this church for the next 25 years. And I said, so bottom line, I need your grace to give me a little bit of time to just step back, to restructure the way we do church here. I said, some things are going to be different. The level of quality you're used to may drop for a little bit. We have to restructure. We have to do things differently. Guess what happened? Nobody made fun of me. Nobody told me what a horrible leader I was. I was flooded with text messages and emails and Facebook messages from people saying, me too. I, I can relate, Dave. I've been there. I know what it's like to be exhausted, but we're in this together. However you can use me, I'm willing to come alongside. I'm willing to carry some of the burden. And I would say today, if you are in a season where you feel crushed, and life has beaten you down and you've started to hear voices in your head and you become your biggest naysayer, me too. That's where I've been. But I'm not staying here. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come in my life and the best is yet to come in your life. But we have to be vulnerable enough to ask for help and to open ourselves up 
to the struggles and the secrets and the challenges we go through. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. 